This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you are listening to another episode of the Crowncast. And it's a Wednesday Crowncast that we are, again, not doing on Wednesday because nobody cares exactly what time it is. But we have done all the research. We've done all of the work. And here, because let's be honest, he's the best at doing both the research and the work and knowing about the football is Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Far too kind, as always. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey, everybody. The day will never come that I do not gas you up because you're you're good at what you do. Uh, so <laughs> I have a little way to start this episode that is kind of fun for me. And for the listeners are going to need a little bit of backstory. And that is, I am uh, an Arsenal guy as well, obviously, Charlotte FC, but also Arsenal. And one of the Arsenal correspondents, a guy who writes for The Athletic named James McNicholas, recently went onto the internet and created his own catchphrase, which is awful. But it has become so, so much fun and people all over started using it. And recently he went out and said, you know what, if you want to use it, use it, go for it. We believe in you. This is my gift to the world. So uh, I know Josh follows uh, that show. So we're going to see how long it takes Josh to, uh, to notice this. And with all of that said, to James McNicholas, I hope this is the first time it's reached the MLS. Let's do this. <laughs> it is. It's terrible, isn't it, Ewan? <laughs> hey, it's uh, it's it's an Arsenal thing. It's a positive world over there most of the time. I wouldn't get it as a Leeds fan, but. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, you uh, and you've been you've been doing well, man. I realize it's been like what, like six whole days since we last chatted football. I know, I know, and and somehow in those uh, in in that time, even just with the uh, with the with the one game, there's just a lot to get into. So yep. it's, so... it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty incredible that there's so much to get into and exactly zero goals to get into at the same time so that's 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 not true technically we did play new york red bull and we haven't done a deep dive on new york red bull which i think deserves some attention today so we're going to give it some attention we're going to talk montreal and then obviously we're going to look ahead to uh the team that actually plays in new york and the fact that we're going to have to go and destroy them as we always do uh do you want to you know what yes i'm gonna i'm gonna take a bit of host privilege here because there's a guy I want to talk about, somebody I've rated really highly in Guzman Carujo. And uh, he comes back into the team, and I'm going to be the first one to say it. He does not look great. Um, Guzman came back in for New York Red Bulls. It looked to me like he got kind of dragged back as a compensation for losing DJ. I do think that there's a part of this team that is coming along that we have to... We've started building our team from the central defensive midfield position. We're not really building from the back two. We're kind of saying that that area just above the defense is how things we expand from there. And when we lost DJ, I think there was, I'm not going to call it panic, but I think there was a little bit of like, look, Guzman in the defensive line right now, the best fisherman role that I, I like to talk about probably is him he's got the best sort of looking forward and tackling people in the turn trying to cut balls out uh we need you to get in there maybe a game and a half early and give us what you can give us and i'll be really honest with you i don't think it came off for him in new york i think it was a a tough game for him to do that new york is known to be 
uh, well, kind of divey and not fun to watch and just generally bad at all things that make the game beautiful. But we do see Guzman come back in. I think it is good that he's getting that that time and those minutes on his legs. At first, he comes out after getting uh, a knock. And there's a moment of like, oh, no, here we go again. But we see him again in the next game. He comes out on this sort of 65-ish minutes. Ewan, is that right? Yeah. In the Montreal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, that's he comes right. Out, 65. He comes out on the sort of 65th minute uh, at Montreal, which I think is just a statement of, look, we know this guy has quality in his boots. This is a team that needs the defenders the moment they're healthy. Uh, we have been, I think I heard Jess from Jess Talks Footy the other day talking that we had changed central defensive pairings like eight times or something silly. Uh, a number that you do not want to be topping the charts of for football. Uh, but he comes back in, looks a little bit better against Montreal. I, I struggle to see his position. I think it fits best with Adilson Melanda, but I don't think that they play the correct sides of the pitch. In order to be doing that, I think we saw uh, Dielsen really struggle on the left. And I think we saw that kind of they're both, the way they hold their body, the way they hold shape, the way they look at the pitch, they're both kind of players who want to be on the right side. Ewan, as Guzman comes back in, as we hopefully get Milanda back soon, and then all of our other defenders magically become the most healthy, always available players on planet Earth, and we never have this problem again, where do you see this guy fitting in in the long term and uh, we all know you're a guzman carujo hater so <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna say you know if he fits in because i know you're gonna say well i don't like guzman carujo put jan sobosinski in there uh if you're gonna put him in this team how does he fit for you yeah i think because of what you mentioned there with him and melanda it's not most people would have them as our two best center backs. So in a team that plays back four, just put them in as the two center backs. Well, the way partnerships work with center backs and build up play, it's not as easy as that. Like you mentioned, they have similar styles which don't mesh well. You want a little bit of variety in your center back pairing, and they don't really give us that. Having said that, I do think that realistically, at full fitness, that is what we would still go with. I do think that at full fitness, Latanzio would say we're playing Melanda and we're playing Guzman Crujo because regardless of the rest of it, they are our two best centre-backs and we will make it work. Um, I think what is interesting to kind of touch on as an extension of that is how that fits into the 3-2 stuff uh, in terms of build-up, 3-2 build-up that we do. Um, because I think the best way that this can work in a build-up way um, because obviously we know what they can do defensively, is if you can get into a 3-2 where Carujo is the middleman, Melanda is on the right side of that three, and then on the left, it's, you know, at this stage, whoever that left back is, because um, we know that's been a, a combination of different people between, you know, sort of Nathan Byrne and... and um, Most recently deputized yeah, Jalen Lindsay. Jalen Lindsay as well. It's <laughs> it's kind of everyone has a go at the left back spot. It's it's like we we had the joke that we mentioned that everyone's better on the left, and that's been kind of taken literally of defenders that everybody gets their gets their go at left back. It seems in this team, yep. Bronico's had a go there. Yeah, it's yep. a, it's a bit of a has, conveyor belt. Has Derek Jones gotten a go at left back? I feel like he has. He's, he's definitely he's definitely floated. <laughs> 
he's definitely floated out to that position. Whether or not he's like started there, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, his his time is coming in that spot. But I, I think in terms of the most effective way to have those two guys in the team playing centre back, it has to be with Carujo as the middleman of that three, Melander on the right, and then at the left back spot that plays as the left of that three, it has to be someone who has a little bit more in build up. So. If you think that's Jalen Lindsay, play Jalen Lindsay because he has the pace to be able to cover space. If you think that's Harrison Offal and you're ready to sacrifice that because he's better in build-up, then okay, do that and and adjust around it and play eight yards deeper in build-up. But I do think that having those two players set up like that, Crujo in the middle, Melander on the right, is the best way to deploy them. Uh, and, and the other thing that should be mentioned is that now we've got these two games out of Crujo. We do get another kind of short not a proper break, but a short break into into our next game without having a game this weekend and then playing again on Wednesday night against uh, against New York City FC. So hopefully by then he will have had that rest and will be feeling up to playing 90 minutes and we will get the answers to this question probably because regardless of what anyone thinks of uh, Carujo, he's Latanzio's guy. And you saw that when he got substituted off. It was a big yep. smiley embrace. Um, yep. So... Yeah, hopefully he's uh, all good off that kind of roughly ten days rest. Yeah, uh, I, I do. I do hope that it uh, it gives him a little bit of a break. Although, you know, we're now so used to playing every three days, every three point five days. I think the math technically works out too because we always play on Wednesdays and Saturdays or Wednesdays and Sundays. But I will admit that when we get longer breaks now, when we get that like hey, we have seven days until a match, like three days in, I'm turning on my TV going, uh, where's the match? What am I supposed to be watching right now? <laughs> Charlotte FC, what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, and as, as games start to slow down a little bit, we are going to have to figure out what to do with our free time. So uh, Ewan, any good recommendations on a hobby? <laughs> You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Just pick up another you can ask a worse person. I was going to say, yeah, um, the uh, the Alex Serian is, is is good at the moment. That's not a TV show. That's a football <laughs> league. So uh, if you want to if you want to get involved in that, yeah, it's not a different hobby, but maybe you know, watching football without the stress um, might bring some uh, bring some solace or, or or whatever it may be. So yeah, <laughs> like I say, okay. wrong. That's the wrong guy. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I did ask the wrong guy there. I'll see if Josh. Has, uh, nope, Josh is just, just going to be taking care of a baby. I need I somebody to say, take yeah. me out. Somebody to take me out and play golf or something. Okay. Uh, so what I'm going to move on to now is I'm going to do a really quick tap on Ben Bender because in the game I think he deserves to be talked about. I think it's his best game ever for Charlotte FC. He fashions one absolutely spectacular chance via one of those touches that is you know the same level as that Carol Schwederski on the end line touch. Um, finishes it brilliantly, calm, cool, collected, great job, great shot, great bring down, all of it, world-class. Um, his second goal in the New York Red Bull game, I think can also be tackled relatively quickly. Enzo Capetti doesn't give up on a ball, and I don't think Enzo has any ability to control. It's not really a good pass into him. I think it's just a bad pass, and he goes, hey, I'll do anything I can to get to it, and it happens to fall to Bender, but credit to him. He hits an absolute stunner from, you know, uh, a relatively good distance, big curler into the upper 90s, the type of thing that goes on your highlight reel for the rest of your life. Really, really special game. And one of the things I liked was he was standing in his challenges more. And maybe he just felt a little super extra confident because he'd just gotten married. Maybe it was that like newly married confidence in him. But 
I remember watching that the first half of that game and going, if Ben Bender plays like this, he's going to make it. And everyone will tell you I'm a Bender fan. Everyone will tell you I have his jersey. I was super excited that we got to interview him a while back. You know, that was a really cool moment for me. But these players are not done, right? These players have places to go and places to grow in order to make it at the highest level. And I think Bender is no exception to that. He has to he has to learn how to replicate that fight and that willingness to stand in and go shoulder to shoulder and pick the ball off players. Uh, he was getting ball recoveries, which is something we don't traditionally see, see from Ben Bender, you know, getting to the play fast enough that he can tackle people while they don't have control yet. That's what I want to keep seeing from him. I'd love to to keep seeing two goals a game. Obviously, we didn't see it against Montreal. But uh, what I want to keep seeing from him is you have to fight to play the game. You have to win the contest. And then you get to show off your skill. I want to keep seeing him win the contest. Um, thoughts on Bender in this one? Yeah, his... Um what he did in this game is as far as the two goals go i know it seems like an obvious point to make but they're the reason he is uh, he's in the team um because when you look at it from just kind of a tactical perspective and and the general um setup of the team in and out of possession he's he's not great in he's not great in build up and out of possession he's that's not his strong suit either in terms of pressing and everything like that so when you get to that point it's like okay so what is he in the team for it's because he's great at getting in in really smart positions uh, when we have the ball attacking wise. Uh, it's because he's great at kind of the quick decision making, one touch stuff, which you saw with his first goal. The intuition to just you know some players would have been thinking, how can I bring this down and keep it near to my feet? As that ball's coming over, he's thinking, I've got a defender here. How about I knock it this side of him, and then I go around the other side. And then I've got all the space in the world for a one-on-one. That's not something that that most players do, and it's also not really something that I think you can learn. It's 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 intuition. You you kind of you know you have that or you don't. So from that perspective, you you got the best of him in those two moments, um, and it was really good to see him score that second goal with his right foot because he is a player who seems a little bit left foot dominant. <laughs> a lot of the time uh, like most players they want the ball on the stronger foot but you see it in in the midfield often where uh, in build-up phases or in just kind of tight areas he's kind of shifting his body shape to make sure that it's on his left foot and this isn't something that he's alone in in the team we see other players who are who are their strong foot dominant do this all the time but it was cool to see him score the goal with his right foot and like you mentioned it was yeah. Right in the top corner of the goal, it was a it was a really impressive finish, and and yeah, it, it makes up for some of the other deficiencies in his game. And if we go another two games now, and he doesn't score or he doesn't get an assist, and it's like, you know, we want him out of the team, we want someone else in there, uh, we want someone who's who's you know better out of possession or better in the build up stuff. The reality is, these are the players that coaches have a hard time dropping because they know yeah. that they can kind of get a goal or get an assist out of nothing, and and they're almost game breakers in that sense. So. Like this game's a perfect example. If he doesn't do what he does, we probably we lose probably the game. lose it. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. I, <laughs> I want to jump on this really quick, and this is kind of I, I don't want to go into it too hard because there's a bit of hearsay and there's a bit of you know like reading coaches' lips in this. But Latanzio was not happy with the team in New York about the fact that they kind of fell off in the second half, 
apparently there were Charlotte FC fans right next to Christian Latanzio who have uh, spread word that he wanted them to be attacking. He wanted them to go and step on the throats of New York Red Bull. He wanted them to go score five, right? He wanted attack, 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 pressure, 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 do not let up. And somehow the team still kind of fell away. Um, from your perspective, you and how does this happen? I mean, this is a team that had the momentum. How, when the plan is not park the bus, how do you just sort of lose it like that? Uh, it's a little bit twofold, I suppose, because one side of it can just be the habit of being 2-0 up in a game, the pressure turning a little bit naturally as it would as the opposition tries to get a hold and, and takes a few more risks. And then your immediate reaction to them taking a few more risks and playing a little bit higher is, oh, we need to react and be a little bit more defensive to counter it, um, which you do to an extent. But the other side of this uh, that I allude to there is that you don't have to lose completely the aggression that you play with out of possession and in possession, which I think is probably what Latanzio was getting annoyed with in this uh, uh, in this game, because we lose a lot of the intensity of, of our out of possession uh, structure. Like in this game, although we weren't getting right in their face as far as uh, as far as first phase build up, we were really really aggressive in the midfield. Once they got to the second phase, we were right on them in the way that people are familiar Charlotte FC are under Latanzio, right in the face of the opposition once it gets past the halfway line against certain teams. Usually it's in the first phase, but in this game, you were seeing it in the first half once it got over the halfway line or once it got to the midfield. That dropped massively in the second half, and we never really got it back. Even when it went to 2-2 and you think we might play a bit more aggressive to try and get the lead back, we never recaptured that aggression out of possession, which I'm sure was something that really annoyed Latanzio. And then in possession, I think that's maybe something that you have to put down a little bit more to coaching than the out of possession stuff um, because you have to have game state related uh, build up plans. You have to have the idea of, okay, if we are two nil up in a game away from home, if we are two one up in a game away from home, if we are, you know, just generally leading in a game from away from home, how do we get a little bit more defensive to counter, but keep our in possession structure so that we're keeping them honest on the other side as well? How are we making sure that they just can't put everyone in our half? And making sure they know, oh, if we get the ball, we need to deal with something because they have a plan. And that's something that I think we probably need to get a little bit better at coaching-wise. How do we deal with when we have a lead? How, how do we build on it? How do we build to go from 2-0 to 3-0, from 1-0? I know we go from 1-0 to 2-0 in this game, but we do it in quite quick succession in the first half. I mean, if we go 1-0 up at half time, they make the adjustments, come out to try and get an equaliser, and we maybe adjust off the back of that. How do we counter that so that even if we are defensive, we can build the lead? So I think the out-of-possession stuff with the press is on the players, a bit of habit perhaps. And then the in-possession stuff of Latanzio saying needs to go forward, needs to go forward, is a little more on the coaching staff. Uh, so it's an even share of, of blame for me. Yeah, so one of those one of the things that uh, Arsene Wenger was famous for was automatisms. I'm sure that if you are a big football fan, you've heard this before, the sort of setting people up in order to be able to play without thinking. Uh, you know, one of the, the structures of martial arts is the objective of martial arts is on many martial arts not to teach you the absolute perfect, most efficient way to do something. It's to teach you the safest way to deal with a problem and ingrain it into your mind so you don't have to think. It becomes an automatic response, or Arsene Wenger called them autom automatisms. I don't actually know if that's a real word. You and, do you know if it's a real <laughs> word or just what he used? 
I mean, I'm fam I'm familiar with the word automatisms. We're talking about loads of coaches, and yeah. I've never checked whether it is an actual word. You have to assume it is because of how popularized it is. You yeah, just kind by, of yeah, you assume so. By now, it must have become a real word, even even if it wasn't. It's been but, put in the dictionary if it wasn't already. <laughs> no, no lies detected. What we are really struggling with in this team is we have not had a stable enough team to build those automatisms. We have. Every across every single position of this team, we have seen crazy amounts of rotation. We've seen that uh, singular players that who have the most amount of game time playing across four positions. I mean, we talk about the 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 Carol Schwederski equation where he's played like four positions on our pitch, but we haven't really talked about the DJ where he's played center back and left back and right back and. Uh, you know, attacking center midfield and defensive center midfield. And he hasn't actually played all of those, but he is also <laughs> moving around. Uh, Ashley Westwood is moving around. We're going to get to him later. Uh, ben Bender has moved around. He's played left and center. Really the only guy who hasn't really moved is Justin Miram. Like that's, that's it. That's the only guy who hasn't really had to reshuffle. So I do think some of this ability to stay high pressure and stay up when these guys are used to playing the game they want to play, they're not reverting back to their old habits because they don't trust their automatisms. I think once they believe in those patterns, that will be the natural fallback. I won't lie, though. I was kind of hoping to see those connections formed already. We're halfway plus through the season. It's it's not like this is game five, Right. Am I asking too much there, Ewan, for, for my hope that I would have seen these connections by now? No, no, it's not asking for, for too much. But, you you know, you, you mentioned it there. The reason for why it's not happening is probably that churn of uh, not only players, but I mean, how many different build-up structures have we seen from this team already with inverting fullbacks and, and two centre-backs coming up and becoming a double pivot and now one centre-back coming up and joining and making a double pivot and we even a few weeks ago were just kind of playing with conventional fullbacks. It's 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 hard to, to jump from all these different setups with personnel changing as that happens and have everyone be on the same page um, that we times. are going to... Exactly, exactly. And again that's a that's a coaching thing like it's injury influenced uh sometimes and it's suspension influenced sometimes um and if you really want to take it to kind of the top it's also maybe even a, a squad building issue like we talked about a couple of weeks ago how Derek jones should have a true understudy rather than the makeshifting of okay Derek jones is out this guy has to move here so this guy has to move here so now this player has to be playing a different position so now everyone's roles are a little messed up and what they have to do is different because the role has changed instead of a true Derek jones understudy Derek jones is, is suspended or Derek jones is injured oh this guy comes off the bench he comes in there all he's done is study this position and this is exactly what he does and nothing else changes so i suppose if you really want to take it to the top it's a little bit squad building, but it's not like we have the biggest budget to be working from. So that becomes a bit difficult, but yeah, it's definitely a changing of personnel and changing of setup issue that we don't see these automatisms that you would want to be, want to be seeing in the team. So I'm going to push us along here into the Montreal game, and I'm going to do that against my better judgment. Uh, the Montreal game is going to be one that goes down for a lot of frustration, a lot of frustration. I think if, you know, like Carol Schwederski had a golf bag, 
he would have thrown at least one club and probably broken another one. Uh, you know, if if they had had a baseball bat, that baseball bat probably would have been way up into the bleachers. The fact that none of them just absolutely sent a ball, maybe they did, I don't know, I didn't see it, uh, kind of surprises me. A lot of frustrations, but that's what happens when you miss big chances. And we missed a fair number of big chances. And part of it that frustrates me is that they weren't big chances missed in a, oh, hey, the keeper made an amazing save. They were big chances missed in a, we didn't put the ball on frame. And the the big one for me is the, the early kind of tone setter that comes out of Capetti. Obviously, early in the, the game, ball goes out to Justin Miram. Uh, huge credit to Carol Schroederski, who is very unselfish. He sees the play developing, and this is one of the things I love about Carol's vision and his technical ability. He sees the play developing, and you can see early him going, this is not, I'm not supposed to be the hero here, but I can make someone else the guaranteed hero. And he runs across the face of the goal. He not only commits his defender, but he commits the defender who could have theoretically gone and covered that outside right or their defensive left and kind of gives the guy on Justin Miram something to think about, right? He almost pulls three people out of position for this. Justin Miram does what he does so well. He waits till they have the momentum. He cuts back. He opens up the space for himself. He lays an absolutely beautiful, perfect, on-a-platter pass to an on-running Enzo Capetti. And Enzo, uh, I mean, my my potential statement here is do you think he's just made so many of these runs that that he didn't get the opportunity to shoot he didn't actually believe it would come to him what happened to you <laughs> yeah it's um because i think i feel like just as a as a side point it is maybe an underrated aspect of Enzo Capetti's game that doesn't get credit because if you make good runs and you don't get the ball then nothing happens so you don't really get credit for that because you don't receive the ball and the, the chance doesn't come so that feeds into this where he makes he's in a good position the ball does come to him and then the result is not great it, it, for me i think that this is an instance of a player who like we talked about with ben bender earlier really really wants the ball on their strong foot and he ill-advisedly lets this ball come across his body and shapes his body in a way that ends up with him having it on his right foot but having to be in a position where he's kind of stretching to get the ball rather than approaching it directly on his left foot and getting a shot from a better angle right in the middle of the goal with his momentum going towards the ball so he can generate more power. I think that's what happens here. And I, there's a chance that people would disagree with this, but I think if you do kind of watch the way he shapes his body as it's coming towards him, he just he wants that ball on his right foot and maybe... I think what could be a case of him not getting chances that often that influences this that you, you allude to there, maybe because he's not getting chances all the time and not getting the ball in those positions, that when he does, he's overthinking it so much because he's not used to being in those positions so far this season that he wants it. He wants to eliminate the risk of, oh, I'm not taking this on the foot. I'd ideally be taking it on. Let me roll this across and have it on my right. It's a combination of unfamiliarity and maybe a little bit of a lack of confidence that he's taking that ball um, on his right foot with it coming a lot across him. And just, it ends up looking awkward. 
rather than what could have been just a direct shot on his left foot with momentum that probably still goes in. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question here, and it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I won't lie to you. This is going to be a tough one. We occasionally have to to come on to things like this, and that is I don't think anybody can question his effort or his work rate because this guy runs down everything. Enzo does. He he. We had a good one in the Montreal game where he was running down from the attacking position all the way back down to our defensive left side. Even Enzo Capetti has played our left back. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit of feeling from Enzo that he's putting in the effort and he's putting in the runs and he's putting in the hard yards, but without really expecting he's going to go do stuff. Um, I'm getting just the, the start of the vibes of somebody who might be checking out and not like he's going to be unprofessional about it. Not like he's, you know, he's downing tools or anything, but somebody who's not a hundred percent. I could get the ball at every moment. Who's 70%. I could get the ball at every moment, but I'm still going to run my butt off. Are you seeing this from Enzo or do you feel like this is just a, a guy who recently had an injury and he came back a little frustrated? Yeah, he recently had an injury, came back frustrated. That injury, it's believed that he was held back a little bit longer um, than he wanted to be. He felt like he was ready and he got held back a little bit. I know that was a little bit of speculation, so who knows if that is actually true. But if it is, it would add to that frustration. I also just think he's a player that wears a lot of emotion on his face and and wears a lot of emotion just generally with how he is on the pitch. So if he is annoyed, you're kind of going to know about it. When he does get substituted in a game that's nil-nil and he hasn't scored, you are going to see a lot of kind of shaking his head and and everything like that. So I I do think that contributes a little bit to maybe that perception of him checking out. But I think overall, there's just a lot of passion there from him um, that he feels like he can be doing better, both with the support of others in the team and himself, he'll have been thinking about that chance that he had in the first half, in the first 10 minutes, when he was coming off after 70, 75 minutes, because he knows that was the that was the chance. And he'll be ruining that throughout the game, because he'll have known that he didn't do as well with that as he could have done. I do think, and I mentioned it earlier when I kind of started talking about this, uh, the opportunity they had in this game, I think that if people, and to flip it a little bit, if people are checking out on Enzo Capetti a little bit, thinking he might not be um, what was advertised in terms of the goal scorer and the outright number nine that was going to help us, I think I would come to his defence a little bit because there is still a lot of good work out of, uh, off the ball happening from him. And he's just not getting the ball in those areas. Now, yeah. he would throw back in my face that chance because he got the ball in a good area and messed it up. And we kind of went over that, the reasons of why that happened. But I do think this is an instance where you just have to stick with and back your guy. You understand what he can do as a striker. You understand why you bought him in the first place. You look at the game film and you just have to say that we're going to stick with him because eventually if we stick to what we're doing and we believe in it completely, the chances will come. And he will start taking them because we believe in him because of everything that we've seen before when we were scouting him. So if he's checked out, I can't really say that he has because I just see a lot of good stuff still happening from him to say that I think he has checked out. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to counter your counter with a counter that is a plus four. (laughs) Um, There's a reference in there somewhere. I'll be honest, it's probably not a correct reference. Uh, to a card game that I don't actually know whether I can legally talk about on air. So 
I'm not going to say the <laughs> name, but you all know what I'm talking about. And that is one thing I, I am concerned about Enzo is he's starting to put up the type of numbers that you can you can start to make arguments that it's the player. You can start to make arguments that it's the system. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that the numbers are there. Now, you might be more inclined to say, hey, this is system oriented. He's not playing in a system that suits him. We're not getting the progressive you know, play up the field effectively enough to be giving him the chance to go out and get good numbers. You might say this guy isn't getting into the positions we need to make that progression happen. He's not getting into the box. He's not getting these shots away. You know, I, I won't lie. You and I, I pulled up his stats on on our stats page earlier, and I was not. I had had a moment of of a bit of shock. <laughs> yeah. Even if even if there is a a place here where some of it's not his fault, statistically sooner or later he's reaching the places where questions are going to start getting asked and that's never a great place to be even if it's not on him so let's move away from uh, enzo and i'm going to talk super quick about westwood because the time i wanted to talk about westwood i instead decided to talk about enzo because he's a very interesting person to talk about and that is i gave ashley westwood a card for this last match and i wanted to follow it up and say that there is a point in this match where he really becomes a live wire and game state has to do with some of it after Ben Bender comes out and after he gets to sort of return to his more normal playing a little bit higher up the field, running the midfield position, and he's not playing so deep. That is the time when we start to see uh, Ashley Westwood come back alive. And in that time, the last 30 minutes of the game, I, I would encourage you, maybe I'll post it. SofaScore does like a momentum meter where you can see sort of how the game is progressing. One, once he goes back to his position a little bit further up the, the pitch with uh, Brent Bronico to help him out, Charlotte FC take that game over. Charlotte FC are it. There is no swing back to the other way of Montreal. Whereas before that, we saw a lot of him getting trapped deep and playing balls that he can play and balls that he could control, and balls that he would be able to get out of. But he's pl he was playing them as if he was playing them on our their attacking 18, not on our defensive 18. He has one or two balls that are kind of zipped back to Christian Kalina, while Kalina is under pressure. I mean, he played them to him as if he was an attacking central midfielder trying to play creative. And both times, my head was just in my hands, because that's not Kalina. We know... <laughs> Every, everybody and their brother knows Kalina is not going to be uh, the guy who who body fakes one way and then splits three defenders to, to get the ball up the field. That's not his game. If he has plenty of time, great, right? If he's got the easy out pass, great, fine. Use him as, a, as the 11th player. Use him as that sixth outfield man in the defensive five, whatever. But I think there was a, a little bit of lack of acknowledgement of where he was in the field when he went deeper. And you and we talked about this previously where I kind of thought he could play that six. I kind of thought he could be that guy who would ping balls and distribute from deep. And admittedly, he's done it for like a game and a half, right? We haven't, we don't have a big sample size. He hasn't had time to adjust, whatever. But not my favorite position from him. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. I mean, and I think the reason why it's, it's come, his performances are coming across so badly is because you know he can be so effective somewhere else that that contributes to it in a major way as well because 
maybe if Ashley Westwood is someone who um, had not played much for us this season, but had come into that role and played the way he did, maybe you'd think like, oh yeah, he he did all right. He kind of he was a bit aggressive with um, the the passes that he was playing um, in early build up to the to Kalina and everything like that. Maybe the decision making wasn't ideal and everything like that. But he was fine. But it comes across so much worse when you know this guy's so good somewhere else and we're having to make shift it and have him in a different role. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just not, it's night and day because Ashley Westwood is someone who is best. And I'm just basically describing the role that he usually plays here, but he has to be on the ball driving forward immediately. He has to have options in front immediately uh, to get the best out of him because he can play the best passes and he can make the right decisions in those moments. Playing as a six, you play with a lot of your back to the opposition goal, having to play on the half turn, um, having to just be a little bit more patient sometimes and understand that other, the other team structure is going to come apart and, and dis and, you know that their pressing structure will get a bit aggressive if we keep it calm and play it between each other and then we will be able to get that space in behind but Ashley Westwood based off probably a lot of his career being at Burnley very direct player it's about get on the ball driving forward can I find the man in front of me on the wing can I find the man in front of me in the center can I find the man on the other side of the field for a switch that's what he's best at so he's just not been trained as a deep lying kind of build up six type midfielder. So does he have the technical quality to do it? He probably does, but it's just not how he's been trained. So it's yeah. understandable why he doesn't look so good in that role. So really quick, you're going to get like, cause I know you want to talk about bill. You're going to get like two minutes go off about, about bill. I suppose. Well, yeah, I, I mentioned that, um, he was good in this game and I feel like it's just probably worth noting because there's not a lot of positivity around his season so far <laughs> so um, the fact that he was good in this game it almost feels like we should give credit because there's been a lot of our oh, Bill Tuoloma the, the own goals and you know mistakes for, for just opposition goals in general in this game he was brilliant and especially brilliant in possession because we had our first the first uh, thing that we talked about on this podcast was Crujo Melanda together as a back uh, as a centre back pairing? How good is that really in build up? Does that make sense? Then you watch Tuoloma in this game. I know he was playing right back, but he was inverting to centre back, and he was brilliant at the build up stuff. So I feel like it's probably just worth bringing up that he is an option if we do need to bring in someone who's a little bit more progressive on the ball in certain game states. There is probably a role in him uh, in this team for him uh, at doing that. And yeah, he was really impressive in that game. His best game for Charlotte FC probably by like miles and miles uh, a pretty good game from him all right we're going to go ahead and we're going to hop on to previewing uh New York City FC the one that actually plays in New York uh the one that I think actually should have the title of New York and the one that we are guaranteed to destroy because they have zero chance of beating us you and do you want to tell us why we are guaranteed to to beat New York City FC <laughs> Well, uh, obviously, we, we we came up against them earlier in the season and they looked a lot scarier than they do now um, because their form hasn't been great. And most recently, they have played, well, their most recent form uh, of their last sort of four games. Um, well, five games, actually. Last five games, all draws. And draws kind of get you nowhere 
<laughs> in any kind we, of football. We would have no idea what drawing games over and over feels like. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. We're kind of, uh, yeah, in a in a sort of similar position whereby you know drawing a lot is you, you see like you, you you draw games. It's like oh yeah, decent point against that team. Oh yeah, decent point away from home. But as that's happening, you're slowly making your way further down the table, you further down the conference, um, and that's what's happened to New York City. Uh, they are 13th in the conference now. Um, 20 games played, nine draws. So. They add up only four wins. That's not going to get you anywhere fast. Uh, so again, it's a case with this whereby we are coming up against a team that we should fairly fancy our chances uh, at beating. So yeah, if you want the case for uh, for us beating uh, New York City FC, that's kind of it right there. I mean, I, it's it, really it's more of a better case for us getting another draw <laughs> against New York City <laughs> FC because they're pretty good at them. But they're, they're certainly a team that don't win a whole lot of games and they've definitely got some uh, got some issues uh, in their team but just in terms of something that should be looked out for in this game specifically um new york new york city fc's build up mostly comes down their left side and it mostly comes down their left side due to uh, alfredo uh, morales who is a very very good center midfielder it plays on that left side and that left the left wing back and the left centre back in their system, which is a sort of it's a variation of different wing back formations. It moves in and out of possession, but it's always got the wing backs featuring in it. Um, that's where a lot of their build up comes from, and Alfredo Morales is at the heart of it. Compare that to this Charlotte team, where the right side defensively just always has a lot of moving parts. It's got at the moment, like we mentioned there, Bill Tuiloma at right back. And Guzman Carujo, who it doesn't seem is 100% fit, match fit at least, playing on the right side of it. And it's also got, um, central midfield-wise, just the conveyor belt of in-possession, out-of-possession structures, where it's really tough to change from one to another because it's so convoluted. Um, and it's just putting a lot on uh, on on. Derek Jones's plate to come into midfield in possession and then out of possession going centre back role. So with that all being said, I think a big thing to look out for in this game is that build up from the left side. How do we cope with it? Do we just play a little bit further back with it? Is is Bill Tuiloma going to almost be playing um, like a, a very very conventional right back just in terms of transitional stuff to cover that side? Is it even going to be Bill Tuiloma? Does it command a personnel change that we just? get Jalen Lindsay over there and figure out the rest of it uh, however we can. I think that's going to be the fascinating area of the game in terms of Charlotte looking to looking to figure out how not to lose before they figure out how to win. I think that's where the real threat will come from, uh, from New York City FC, down that left side where their build-up is best. Yeah, well, the good news is that does at least play into our right. I will say this is a team that last time we talked about them, I said they're a young team. But they're a young team with a lot of talent. If you look at their forward line, their whole forward line has an average age of like 21 years old. And I'm not talking about like, oh, hey, it's got two or three 18-year-olds and it's got two or three 27-year-olds that are countering each other out. Uh, uh, Gabe Seagal? I don't know if it's Gabe or Gabi Gabi or whatever, but um, Seagal, 22, Pereira, 21, Magno, 21, Jason 21, Tiago, 22, Pellegrini, 23, Lenzema, 22, uh, Rodriguez, 23, 
And it's really not until you get into the midfielders and defensive midfielders that you see anybody of sort of that prime playing age. These are probably going to be young, fast, attacking, want to go at you players. And last time we played them, I said, because of that fact, this is going to be a really hard game. And you know what? Last time I said that, we destroyed them. So I'm going to do it again. This is going to be a really hard game. And Charlotte FC is going to have to earn their keep to stay in this one. And by that, I mean, I expect we are going to destroy them because that's just what I want to see. Okay, Charlotte, help us out here. <laughs> give, us, give, give us some love. Uh, I think that is going to about do it for this one. We tried to keep it to about 45 minutes this time, shorten them up a little bit, hopefully make it a little bit more digestible for you guys. Uh, the listener, as ever, you can find my co-host Ewan on Twitter at stillness underscore speed. Thank you, Ewan. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, if you want to find the Crowncast, you can find us online at the underscore crown underscore cast on Instagram and the underscore Crowncast on Twitter. And with that, if you have decided to spend your time with us, we love you. And we will talk to you again when we are celebrating our next three points against New York City FC. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. 